This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. It's really great to be here. And uh, it's been maybe three years or so since I've actually been with you on a, on a Sunday morning, maybe four years. Um, and I know a lot of you through Nexus or just shared history and different things. But I feel at home when I walk in here, not because of a building that I've spent more of my time in than probably any other place on earth, possibly even than my house, which might be sad. So I don't think I'll work that out. But it's not the building that makes me feel at home. It's not the fact that I know a lot of you, and some of you have known uh, much of my life. But it's because the people of God are here. It's because the presence of God is here. It's because I walk into this place among the sound of this house that's lifted up to glorify the Lord. And my spirit identifies with it. It resonate with what you guys carry, what you bring, the revelation you see of a mighty God who's reached into your world and transformed your life, and you're offering your individual and collective sound back to him. And, I mean, those are the kind of places I want to spend my time among a people like this. And so it's great to walk in here and think, yeah, I'm completely at home here, irrespective of how much I know you guys. And so I loved being with you. I loved joining with you. I loved lifting my voice and adding it to the blend that goes up to the throne room of God this morning. And it's, uh, it's, I've been blessed already and encouraged so much. And I will take something away from my time with you, which I think is right, because we are changed when we, when we come into the presence of God. And so uh, that's brilliant. Uh, give you greetings from the folks at New Horizons five minutes from here who are doing the same thing that we're doing here, and my, my wife and kids are there. And, uh, but it's great to connect with you. Um, I have spent the last 20 or so years developing and, and building Nexus and, and starting other programs in other places in different countries, and currently, uh, the last three months, taken over as the operations director for this monument project. Might even be coming up behind me. Here's a picture of what it's actually going to look like. If you followed it online, you'll have seen different incarnations of it. There's a better picture on the screen back there. Uh, It's a little clearer. But uh, this is what the Wall of Answered Prayer is going to look like. And it's going to be about 12 minutes from here. So it's not very far. Uh, Very short drive. And it's basically a national monument built out of a a million white bricks. Now, I have some of these bricks in the office. They're real bricks, kind of enameled uh, in white, kind of pyramid shape. But the thing about this is, is this isn't really the thing. This is the thing that people will see. They will see something which uh, looks tall and impressive. It's about the same height as Nelson's column. But it's what it represents that really is what this thing is all about. Each one of these bricks literally will tell a story. It will be someone's testimony. It will be a declaration of the power of God's reaching into their life and changing something. That's what each one of these million bricks will be. And it will be a declaration in the, in the advance of atheism, secularism, rampant, ungodly culture. It will stand as a beacon to 500,000 people that will drive by it or fly by it or be on the train going right next to it 
every single week. And it will say that our God is real, that Jesus is alive. He's at work in ordinary people's lives all across this nation and across the world. And, and it's, it's a statement. It's a large megaphone, really, of that message. Now, uh, the story behind the project, you can, there's videos and different things online about how we got the, the piece of land and, and the sort of miracle of God opening that up. And we're, uh, we're on timetable so far. Uh, we submitted planning application this week. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. And the aim is for the construction to be finished in time for the Commonwealth Games in 2022 when extra millions of people will be coming into this part of the country. And we want there to be a strong declaration at that point as we welcome those people in. So uh, my involvement with the wall, like it's not like I wasn't busy enough. Wasn't that it wasn't like I didn't have a lot of ideas, a lot of different things. It wasn't that God wasn't opening up other doors. But it was interesting. I mean, clearly it was God speaking and leading, and, and that's why I responded and I said yes to my involvement. But it was kind of a personal interaction with it that that uh, I suppose opened my eyes to the potential of it. And every week on social media and different platforms and things, we publish different testimonies, different people's stories, stories that will be in the wall. And one of those stories uh, a couple months back was from some parents whose child had been healed of epilepsy. They'd prayed and, and God had uh, delivered uh, their, their child from that. And some of you will know that uh, my oldest son, Joel, has epilepsy. He's had it since he was one years old. He's 20 now. So we've interacted with that for the last 19 years. And as I read this story, what, what happened to me was this. I, it's not my story yet, but I immediately stepped into what that must be like for those parents. The joy, the rejoicing, the, the relief. The, the, the one minute their world looked a certain way, and then God reaches in, and then from that moment on, their world looks completely different. And I stepped into kind of by proxy, what that must be like as a parent, as somebody who identifies with the, with the circumstances. But it wasn't just identifying it that really, uh, you know, it wasn't like, wow, that must be really nice, good, good for them, that, that's amazing. But something else happened, because what I'm interacting with is, is not just a nice story, I'm interacting with God incarnate. He's made flesh. He's declared something that becomes alive in real time, in space, in, in, in mortality, in that, in that family's life. And as I interact with that, it produces faith in me. That's what the word says it will do. Faith comes by hearing, and I'm hearing this story of God at work. And it produces faith, and it produces hope, and it produced a challenge for me. Because in that moment, I realized, I've kind of come to live with this thing. We've, we've really come to manage this. We've stopped battling for it. Years go by and we get used to it. And we find, we find coping mechanisms for it. And so I, I went to Kate in, just after this and, and I said, you know, I, I feel really provoked by reading this story that we need to begin to lift this up before the Lord again. Management is fine. Creating situations around the house that help and all that sort of stuff is great. But we need to begin presenting this 
and strike the arrows to the ground again and not stop. And we need to begin presenting this again. And so it, it did several things. I, I was filled with joy on behalf of somebody else. It stirred my faith and it provoked me into action within my own household. And for me, I mean, monuments are cool. But that's not the thing. That's our, our hope is that there's a million stories represented in that thing. And as people, whether it's online or they're walking around it and interacting with the stories on the bricks themselves, that that is part of what happens. That they, they hear and they hope and their faith rises and they get activated and they encounter not the story but the God who is behind is the power is the one that we've just been singing about, we are chasing after. We're, so it's not the circumstance, it's the God behind it. God is the goal. Jesus is our destination point of our efforts. But this will, this will hopefully be a catalyst for many people, hopefully hundreds of thousands of people. So I, love, I like telling stories. And um, I want to tell certainly one, maybe two if I get around to it. Uh, today for you. And the first is from the Word of God. And it's one of my favorite stories. I, I love, as, a, as somebody who gets to teach and speak and, and preach and different things, I love how the Holy Spirit so often preaches your sermon for you in the worship before you actually get up uh, to speak, and which is great. So the ground is well prepared, I, I hope, today uh, for you to, to hear what God is saying. And so all I'm going to do, really, is just reinforce what he's already said in a way, which is pretty amazing. So one of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, comes in Isaiah 6. And it's a great story if that reference doesn't uh, tell you what it is. Here's a little passage that I want to read today. And uh, I'll read it out, and you can read along, and then I want to talk about it a little bit. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord... High and exalted, seated on a throne. We've already declared that today, actually. I think it was, is it Ben who, who, who began to, and we began to sing about that. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. With two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. An amazing thing they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, this is Isaiah. Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here's Isaiah again, Here am I, send me. So it's a really interesting sequence here. It's important to kind of recognize it. And the context, if you're not familiar with the story, is Isaiah is a, a highly functional prophet in, in his time. And we find him here, the beginning position of this story, 
is one where his environment is beginning to determine his reality, his response, the strength of his voice. Uh, We've had an interesting cycle of kings who have, before Uzziah, rejected the ways of the Lord. Now, the story is in 2 Chronicles 26, and encourage you, maybe even today you can go back home and and read this story for yourself. But in in 2 Chronicles 26, Uzziah is made king after this long sequence of of dysfunction. And uh, Uzziah did something different. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Unlike so many that had gone before him, he sought the Lord. He listened to the voice of the prophets. He was rebuilding Jerusalem. There was an abundance of food and provision in in the land. They were strong against their enemies. Great characteristics of the byproduct of setting his ways in, in alignment with the speaking of God. But Uzziah encounters a problem that's unfortunately a little bit all too familiar Maybe it's familiar to some of us. And and again, we've already prayed and made declarations about this. He begins to be impressed with his own accomplishments. He becomes proud. His pride leads to unfaithfulness. Disobedience leads to the collapse of really everything that he had built, ultimately to his own death. And Uzziah's story reminds us that uh, several things, really, that the things of the earth are temporary, that things that look strong and powerful are fragile, and what happens is his death then, at the end of this story, creates a new environment in Israel. And this environment actually could describe our world today. Stability in the nation begins to collapse. That which was providing hope is now disappearing. Circumstances uh, would tell the people that they are again descending into despair. I've listened to a lot of the news over the last months and years, and I've heard this story. Talked about this nation, heard this story, talking about the USA. And this is the situation that this chapter starts in. And uh, what I like to do and I hope this is, I like to make things practical as well as thinking about things. So here's, a, here's what I like to do when I read the scripture. I like to take the things and stop before I get too far into it. And I like to pray those things. I like to stop and pray those back to God. I like to make declarations as I go before I cover too much ground and I lose the impact of what God is speaking. So, if, you don't, if you're not in the practice of doing this, you can add this to your spiritual development toolkit as you're reading. And sometimes it's good to read vast portions and just get the big story, the macro context. And sometimes it's good to stop and with each line. And what happens is you begin to pray this, you're translating it again back to yourself, into your mind, into your heart, into your spirit. So if I was stopping at this point, this is the kind of thing I'd pray God, give me correct sight of the things of the earth and help me see them for what they are. God, let me not be attracted to things that will not last. We made some declarations about casting things off already today, haven't we? We've said this already today. Help me to be humble and avoid the traps that pride brings. Let me not be impressed by my own accomplishments. 
Help me, God, avoid the temptation of self-reliance, but let me trust in you alone. God, I choose to acknowledge you alone in all my ways. We could, we could just, it's simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. But this would be what I would do, something like this, if I was interacting with this scripture. So we move on. Isaiah sees the Lord. I see the Lord where? Highly exalted, seated on a throne. So what is he doing? He's in the midst of circumstances, but he lifts his eyes off the circumstances. And he lifts them to the the most significant place they can go. The place of God's sovereignty, the place of all God's all-powerfulness. And sight of the Lord produces a different assessment. It re-scripts what he thinks is true. There is a truth declaration that's bombarding him from the world around him, the circumstances and the chaos and the decay and the dysfunction. It's saying, this is your reality. But he sees the Lord and it says, no, there's a different reality. This is what is true. And there, you know, there's not that many situations where your perspective and understanding suddenly changes. You, you were thinking one way, and then it's like a, a light switches. But one of those is falling in love. Everybody agree with that? Many people, uh, and I won't look for any, I won't even try to catch your eye. and don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. But there's a moment where there's somebody that you know, maybe as an acquaintance, maybe they were a stranger the moment before, maybe they were even a friend. But the circumstances of your life and your relationship with them was one way. It was just sort of normal. And then something changes. And suddenly they look different to you. You're, and in that moment, and you, it was almost like you didn't control that, but the circumstances of your life have changed. You think and see differently, and you will think, in, in terms of what your mind is dwelling on in the next minutes and hours and days and weeks, it will have this magical power of refocusing your every thought onto that person. And everything about life begins to look different. And, you know, if we could bottle that, and if you could buy that on Amazon, that would be great, wouldn't it? But um, what we, those of us that have experienced that understand it is possible to be walking through life one way and thinking one way, and then things to change. And this is what happens, not just for Isaiah, but for all of us, when we lift our eyes above off of ourselves and above our circumstances and see God seated on his throne. Isaiah's assessment. So what happens? He sees a very different reality from the king is dead, the world is a mess, instability reigns, uh, our disobedient history is repeating itself. I knew it couldn't last. Here we go again. All this stuff is probably bombarding and trying to force his way it forces its way into his understanding, but it changes from that to holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. It's a complete rewriting. Like Isaiah, we live in the earth. We live in circumstances which could be described similarly. We live in mortality, but there's a different truth we were designed to see and live in. And that's what Jesus prayed, didn't he? He prayed, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And the enemy wants to blind us to that truth. 
He knows that truth sets us free, and he wants it to be, let it be on earth as it is on earth. He wants the circumstances of the earth to determine our reality. And those were bringing anxiety to the nation, and that's where Isaiah then lifts his eyes. Verse 5, then, he becomes, as he sees this, a cry goes up from his life. It's a sort of confession. He becomes self-aware. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I, 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 I'm a man of unclean lips. And look at where I live. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's seen God in his holiness. He sees his own deficiency. He sees the uncleanness of his life. And this becomes an act of repentance. We've also said that today. Matthew spoke that out. If we need to, uh, God, if we need to repent of something, we, but we can't do that without revelation. We can't do that without seeing God and who he is. And that causes Isaiah to go through this process. But he also sees then the brokenness and the uncleanness of the world he lives in. And as this awareness breaks forth in his life, this cry goes up. And here's the beautiful part of this story. Then the heavens respond. And they respond in the most beautiful way. Purity and power and the presence of God reaches down and it touches his life. And what happens? Guilt is removed. Sin is forgiven. He's made clean. Purification comes. And although he continues to live in circumstances, he is fundamentally changed. And this is our experience, and this can be our experience. So, if I was to stop and pray this again, I, my cry would be something like this. God, I see all too well the reality of the, the, reality of the fallen world around me. I see that its ways too often have affected me too. But God, I ask you, right here, right now, in this moment, begin a new process of change in me. Touch my life. Let your holiness and righteousness, your sight and maturity and purity become my reality right now. Empower me by your Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to you. Make me more like you, Jesus. I mean, when that... That's a great cry to come up out of our life. But you you can't manufacture it without this sequence, this process of of seeing God and letting something from the eternal realm touch us and begin that process in us. So what happens? New purpose is released. We've got uh, this encounter that he's had with God activates a new heavenly initiative, doesn't it? Heavens declare, who will we send? Who will go for us? And that isn't a declaration that was only 3,000 years ago. That declaration from the heavens echoes out today, echoes out today to us. And the prophet's response is now, and it's only at this point, after the completion of this transaction series, he's able to then say something different. And he's able to say, here am I, send me. New boldness, confidence, Clarity of purpose, clarity of commission, it kind of envelops him. And he has an enhanced ability to, to hear God and a readiness for the command and the commission. 
And we then read about what happens in, in the many chapters that follow. He has a sustaining power now to serve the Lord all his days, to be a voice in his generation, a voice with undiminished volume and, and potency. Uh, but it starts by seeing God above our circumstances. And nothing of transformative power can get activated without that. We can have good ideas that we can outwork. We can go a lot without being sent. We can run off and chase different things. But without the touch from the throne of God and that transformative internal work, uh, those things have no power to, to represent that and be transformative in the earth. Quick second story. This one might be one that you know. Do you know this? Uh, this woman here? It's an old picture. Woman, well, she was a, a, a girl when this story starts. A girl called Charlotte Elliott. And it's a story from the 1800s. And her father was a pastor. She suffered from a variety of chronic illnesses. We would now maybe label these as chronic fatigue or something like that. She battled constantly with anxiety, self-esteem. And on, a, on the, let's imagine it was on the eve of Bible Week this year. Major church event that her father and her, her community are hosting. And she's battling this onslaught of doubt and feeling, feeling of uselessness. And she can't really contribute anything to what's going on. And such is the severity of the mental attack on her. She's left with only one thing. Only the grace of God can rescue me. That's all she's got left. She's got nothing physical or mental or emotional else. She calls out on the mercy of God. And she remembers things that are irrefutable. That salvation that came from the Lord is hers. She remembers his power and his promises and knows that God is true to the things that he declares, and the things that he declares have to return to him accomplished. And she begins to remember things that her circumstances can't tell her. But she begins to call these back. And as she's sitting in her, on her bedside, she grabs some pen and paper, and she begins to write. She writes a poem. And you might recognize it. She writes this poem, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me to come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And she begins to write this poem. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, you, and all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God, I come. It's old-fashioned language, you know, but you understand what she's saying. She's someone whose voice is weak, and it seems like she, she has no ability to offer anything that can change the world. But as she remembers her world begins to change first. And as she breaks free and casts off in the things that we've said today, the destabilizing stuff of her life, she's transformed by the renewing of her mind. And her life and her story then speak well beyond her years because this poem becomes the famous hymn, Just As I Am. 
Now, certainly the older ones among us know this. But this song was discovered by a famous worship leader, Ira Sankey, who at the time was the worship leader for the great revivalist Dwight Moody in the 1800s. And and before all the advent of uh, technology and transportation, Moody traveled the world, and it was said that he ministered to 100 million people. Imagine that without air travel or automobiles or the internet or telephones and television and all that sort of stuff. He did a lot of traveling. And he used to say that as he preached the word, Ira sang it. And we've kind of done it in reverse today. We sang the word. And, and Just As I Am continued to be the song for decades that communicated the love and, and healing and redemption of God. And it was sung at these revival meetings. And in 1934, a young man came to a revival meeting. And again, if you don't know the story, I'd encourage you to read it. But during the singing of this poem, Become Him, a young man comes forward and gives his life to the Lord. And young man's name was Billy Graham. And uh, we remember his passing this last year. And of course, he would go on to preach to hundreds of millions. And in fact, outside potentially of the national anthem of some nations, No other song has been sung more than this song, this desperate cry of a a girl who has nothing to offer. And the song in and of itself has no resonant power, but becomes a conduit of the Holy Spirit to touch uh, and script something and write something on the hearts of tens of thousands of people who have come to the Lord um, because of her simple offering. So two stories, a story from scripture and a story from somewhat recent history. Uh, But they have something in common, don't they? They have something in common, which is the circumstances the subjects found themselves in didn't stop them from from offering something that was unique, uniquely theirs, their life, their story to the Lord and to the people around them and to the world around them. And in both cases, their story ripples out far beyond uh, their immediate surroundings, far beyond their years, and continues to impact the world today in not just an interesting way, but an eternal way. It begins to change things for eternity. And it's worth contemplating that. There's a lot of things that we can do in and of the now. Um, but when we offer something that's, that really has those ingredients, it has an eternal transformative effect. Now, I don't know everybody here. I know some of you really well, some of you a bit, uh, some of you not at all. But I think it's safe to say that every one of you here has a story to tell. Now, God will use those in different ways, and that's uh, up to him how he does that. But what he asks is that we offer him what we have. Uh, So I'm going to help you in a second practical way again. Uh, Maybe you've done this before. Maybe it's the first step or a next step for you in in God using you and activating you. But I want to ask you to consider your story. Now, 
when I go around and I talk about the wall of answered prayer, I ask people to tell me their stories. Because, of course, if I don't collect a million stories, we could build the, we could assemble the bricks. It'd be like, you know, really the most ultimate Lego set. You know, we could assemble them into something pretty cool. But without the stories, it's nothing. And so I, I, I go around and, and I ask people to tell me their stories. But not just so I can accumulate them, uh, although I, I need to do that. But what I want to do is, is just ask you to take a moment, you know, just a, a minute now, and you can do this longer later, but to think back over your own life. Try to identify, as you think through the timeline of your life, situations where God reached into your circumstances, where his speaking, his touch, his healing, his presence transformed something in your own life. It could be the moment he, that salvation came to you, when you called out for rescue for a savior and he met you, when you called out for healing and something changed in your body or your mind, deliverance, provision, it could be anything. But just think through that. And I'll just stop and let you just land on a moment, okay? Okay, now I know for some of you there'll be many and it'll, it'll be almost hard to choose, but I hope you've all started to remember something. And again, I would encourage you uh, to go from here and, and spend some time and, and do it this week, even in the busyness of Christmas. Just set a few minutes aside uh, to, to think over some of these things or, or maybe that story that you've begun. Now, if we were back in the time of the people of Israel when we had God's interaction with us, uh, sometimes we would, we would do a physical thing to remember that. And uh, God tells us to remember the things that he's done. And sometimes he commanded people. So Abraham, after his encounter on the mountain with Isaac, he, he built an altar and he gave it a name. And Joshua, when the people crossed the Red Sea, they took stones out of the river and they piled them up. And God said, then when future generations walk by this place, and say, what is this? What is this pile of stones? What is this altar? Then God's interaction with his people in that situation at that time get told again, and they come alive in the hearing of the next generation. And they again encounter the God who delivered, the God who was Jehovah Jireh, my provider, the God who made a way where there was no way, the God who, in when circumstances said, there is nothing within your power or your will or your determination that can change the situation you find yourself in now, but I can. And with a word, God speaks. And something in, in time and in flesh and mortality changes. And they had a pile of stones like that. And it's, it's worth thinking about. I, I go back through my life at these moments, and I, I give that place a name. 
And you know what happens when I'm standing in worship like I was today with you guys? Sometimes I draw those things back. Because we're, we're singing lyrics about something, and I graft those on to my reality. And I say, God, I can make this with full voice and full mind and full heart. I can make this authentic declaration before you today because, God, I know you that way. I know you as faithful. I know you as rescuer. And whatever we're singing about, I have these piles of stones in my life throughout my history, and I draw those back, and they give volume to my voice and authenticity to my declaration and my worship. I don't have to fake it because God, in, and among the, the confusion that is, is still there in my mind, there are moments that are undeniable where you were there. And if you hadn't been there, that pile of stones has a very different name. Doesn't it? So think about the name of those, those stones. How would you commemorate that? How would you tell it to another generation? How would that be a broadcast point? And that kind of brings us to what the wall of answered prayer really is. Because, you know, a million bricks really isn't enough if the people of God begin to tell their story. It sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It sounds like a lot when in the next two years I almost need 500 a day just to accumulate that amount. But God has been and is and will be at work across the nations of the earth in families and in communities and in people. And each of us has a story to tell. Each of us has a pile of memorial stones. So really the wall is not a a million individual stones, but it's almost like a collage of people's piles of stones. Uh, That's really kind of how I see it. And those stories will go out for the next hundred years or more as people interact with that, and and they'll find hope in the midst of their circumstances, and it'll give them faith to see God's narrative and not their circumstantial one and, and be a catalyst. And it will bring them into an encounter with the God who answers and who delivers and who saves, which is what we really want. And when that happens, when the call of heaven comes out and says, who can we send? I'm hoping there's going to be at least a million living letters who put their hand up and say, here am I. Send me. So they're uh, at the back there. There are some uh, forms where you can tell your story. I'd love it if you take one of these and write your story. Not because it does me a favor and it helps me add up the numbers. I think it's what it, it will do for you as you remember. I think it's what it will do for you as a congregation as we step onto the next level of being a living letter in the world that God has placed us in as we begin to broadcast to our world, our sphere of influence, our family. I mean, what better time than at Christmas when you interact with people that most of the rest of the year you don't? And we want our lives at that point. They can can declare all kinds of stuff, but this is what we want them to be declaring. So I encourage you to write down your story. If If you turn it into a brick, great. And you can bring your friends in future years and say, here's my story. Take them to the, to the wall. But uh, that's, that's part of it. There's, 
some envelopes on your on your chairs. We've got a we took a faith step this week and we submitted our planning application. Uh, we've seen God's generous provision over this last month, and as of this morning, we've in the last thirty odd days we've raised one hundred six thousand two hundred twenty eight pounds, which sounds amazing, and it is amazing. The gap between that and what it what we committed to when we submitted our planning application, which is one hundred forty five thousand pounds. And uh, we made that step of faith, and we believe that God will provide. Well, maybe he'll provide through some of you, and, and you want to be part of that. Uh, if you do, you can fill out forms. Uh, there's a post box. You can come and talk to me about it. That's great. Uh, but I'm not worried about it, because one of those bricks, I've already said the name, is absolutely Jehovah Jireh. God is our provider. If he can provide for my life, if he can provide for my family and my kids and my health, and if he can transform and purify me and commission me and send me out into the earth, and all the things that I experience and lift me above my circumstances and declare a new story over my life, I'm not worried about that financial gap that exists there. God is more than able and capable of of meeting that need. But the thing that excites me and I'm excited for you and for Matthew and the community here, is who we are now is not all that God wants for us, is not all that God wants to do with us. His experiences and and the activation of our lives up up to this point, as amazing as that is, is just a start. Story's not over. And we offer to God, again, this living vessel and say, God, fill it again, transform it, Create me in me even more that Christ-likeness that equips me to serve your purpose in my generation, in my family, in my workplace, in my place of study, uh, with the people I know and the people that you've yet to lead me to. And here's, just in closing, here's what I've experienced in the last three months. You know when you, you teach a lot and you speak a lot and you run a school and you do all this sort of stuff, you're, you're in what we describe as ministry. Uh, But I realized I haven't really been telling my story that often. I lecture about it in some ways, and I I do different things, and that all is is great. But since I've gotten involved with this, and I've been rehearsing and remembering and doing talks like this, you know what? God has brought me more people in the last month to talk to than probably the last several years, partly because I was thinking about it partly because I was aware, partly because I presented God again, actually the opportunity, and I said, yeah, God, bring me people to tell my story to. I've, I've been trapped in airports with some abandoned flights recently. You know how many people are sitting in airports that need something, that need to hear about the goodness of God? And you think, oh, this is impossible. This is one of these, you know, this is for preachers and evangelists and stuff like that. But here's what happens. You're trapped at an airport by yourself. The plane is delayed for 12 hours, and there's not a lot to do. So you find your way into a restaurant. You sit down by yourself. And it's, it's, it's kind of lame eating a meal by yourself, isn't it? Nobody really wants to do that. You get out your iPad or your something. You try to make yourself look busy and like you're not really bothered that you're there having a meal by yourself. But you are. And you're sat there at a table... And you think, okay, I'll just, you eat much faster when you're by yourself and you get out of there as quickly as you can. 
But what's been happening to me, I sat down, ordered the meal, and these, these two ladies, one, I don't know, maybe 70, 80 years old, and one about my age, come and sit down. And I'm guessing it's a mother and daughter, but I don't, I don't really know. I don't know them. And uh, some announcement comes about a flight and, and whatever, and this, this one table was particularly rowdy, and I had, we had a joke with these ladies about that. I hope that's your flight, not mine. And we got talking. And I said, where, where, are you, where are you off to? Are you coming back from somewhere or are you going somewhere? Uh, I don't know these people from the man in the moon. And I, I've said one sentence to them. And you know what the next sentence they say is? The, the older woman says. She said, we're, we're going off, off to Spain. I said, oh, that's nice for, for a holiday. She said, well, sort of. She said, uh, uh, I have a terminal disease. And it's incurable, and I want to go see my grandchildren for the last time. A total stranger within one sentence is opening up one of the deepest things that they're dealing with in their life. And it's an unusual environment in a restaurant, isn't it? And so I talk to them a little bit about it, and and when I leave, I, I just simply say this. I said, you know, I I'm, I'm probably will never see you again. I, I hope you have a great trip. I hope it's everything you want it to be and hope it to be. But beyond that, my hope and prayer for you as I leave is that in the next days or weeks or months or whatever it is, that you'll come to know the reality and presence of God, maybe for the first time or maybe in a way like you've never known. And I'll pray that his peace will be with you and his presence will be with you as you walk out this journey, if that's what he, he has to walk out for you. And I just, I left it there. I don't know what, what God does with that, what the Holy Spirit does with that. But as I've started speaking again, outside of the thing I'm comfortable with, which is teaching lectures and stuff, God has brought people to me time and time again. And there's nothing special about me. There's nothing unique about that. It's just I've begun to cultivate this again. And God says, I've, I always want to use you as a mouthpiece. So let me finish there. Let me pray for you guys, and, and then I'll hand back to Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are, God. We thank you for how we know you, the revelation of who you are, how you've revealed yourself to us, how you've opened your eyes to see who you are. You've welcomed us in to a life we could have never imagined and is only possible because of your grace, your power, your mercy, your forgiveness, your unending love for us, God. And you've brought us in not only to a life that has left all of that stuff behind, which is unique to each and every one of us, but you've brought us and you're making us into the likeness of your Son and you're empowering us, and you're commissioning us to serve you, to represent you here in in this place, in this time on the earth, and to serve your ultimate purpose. And, And God, we remember that today as we stand here, and we remember again that we've made a declaration that says we cast off all that hinders, God. Uh, we, we ask you to purify us again. We ask you to clean us again. We ask for your righteousness to flow and to characterize our life. And 
raise the volume of our voice, God. Open our eyes to see the difference between the, the facts and the circumstances around us and what you are doing and what you've said and what you're declaring and who you are in this earth. God, open our eyes again to that today. Take away the fog, take away the scales, take away the other stuff and the noise, and let us see you for who you truly are. God, re-script again. Let us see your rewriting of our story right on us all over again today in this place. God, we thank you for the privilege of walking with you. We thank you for the privilege of being your son or your daughter Thank you for the privilege of this life that you've given us, that no one else could have given us. God, we worship you. We say again, we love you. We cannot say it enough. Our words cannot express what we think about you, God. But we just say it again. We love you, and we want our lives to be an act of worship to you. We want the things we do to give glory to you. We want the the days and and the hours and the weeks and the months that we spend to serve your purposes. And so, God, we present that again, ourselves as vessels, as storytellers of living letters of who you are, your nature, your goodness, and your purpose and your salvation for the world around us. God, activate us again. And we say when we hear that call that says, who can I send? God, we want there to be no lag between our our ears and our heart and our spirit hearing that and our body and the full force of our, our response saying, God, here we are. Send us. Send us to serve you all of our days. We commit ourselves again, God, in this place. We thank you for the power of remembrance. And we commit again to walk and serve you faithfully all our days. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.